Good morning. <clears throat> Is everybody caffeinated? You got your coffee? You got something to eat? We do intermission right before I preach so that you'll be in a good mood. Um, if you're here, uh, maybe first time, first or second time, we are in a series called Wait What? We're in Luke chapter 16 and 17. And um, so the whole idea behind this series is that um, we've, been, we've been on a journey for quite some time in the book of Luke. We've been doing a series called True Story. It talks about um, how Luke is, if you ever heard somebody use the expression true story, it's like whatever you say, as long as you say, hey, true story, it means it's true, right? And so uh, Luke, the entire gospel of Luke and Acts is actually Luke's true story about Jesus. Like there was a, a rich man who said, I've heard all these stories about Jesus. I don't know if they're really true. And so as those eyewitnesses were starting to die off, he said to Luke, I'll pay whatever it takes for you to take time off from your practice. He was a physician to interview these eyewitnesses and make sure that these stories are true. And so Luke, what you hold in your Bible is Luke and as the book of Acts, that's his report. That's like what he wrote up for college, right? And he turned into his professor and said, here's what you asked for. And then we have that in our Bible now. So, man, when you're reading the gospel of Luke, you should be thinking all the time, in true story, like this is true. Like this Jesus who we heard stories about him healing or saving people, touching a blind person they could see, rising from the dead. Like, holy cow, this stuff's really true. It's been validated. And, and so as we've been working through it, I got to Luke 16 and, and full disclosure, I read the first few verses and I was like, I don't want to preach that. You know, I don't know if you ever read the Bible like that. We, we romanticize the Bible, don't we? We say, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. But there are verses and passages in the Bible that are just hard. And when you read them, you're like, I don't, I mean, it's one thing to read it in your quiet time, right? I'm not going to tell anybody about this. But when you're the preacher and you're preaching through the book, you don't have an option. And so I found out that these two chapters have six passages that all kind of make us go, wait, what? Like, what did Jesus say? Do you, did he mean what I think he meant? Have you ever been to the beach? You like the beach? Okay, um, I'm trying to make sure you, you see where we are right now in because we're, we're halfway, right? It's like, you know, I want to give you a prize for making it halfway through, but the prize is like Luke 17, 1 through 10. Um, you'll see that in a minute. We love the beach. And when my kids were growing up, we'd go to the beach. Have you ever been, um, how many of you body surf? Okay, some of you, a few of you body surf. Some of you have tried to body surf and you gave it up. If you've ever been body surfing, how many of you have had, to have had this experience? You catch the perfect wave. You waited forever for it. You catch that perfect wave, and you ride the wave in. But somewhere along the way, it flips you, and, like, you're, not, you're under the water. And I know it's Myrtle Beach, and so the waves are, like, what, an inch big. But um, it flips you, and even then, you're, like, you don't know what's up and down. And you're kind of like, for a, for a moment, you're like, am I going to hit the, the bottom? What am I, what's going to happen? And you finally, you come up, and you're like, Holy cow, you're like, the salt water's in your eyes, and you can't see anything. You don't, you, should I rub it, should I not rub it? But you rub it anyway, and you take a deep breath as the next wave hits you. Have you ever had that happen? And you get a big gulp of salt water, right? And then you're down again for the count, and like, what's up, what's down? And then, like, you finally get back up again, another wave hits you, right? And when it's all over with, you finally, like, you don't even stand up. You just lift your head up, and, like, there's a little two-year-old kid looking at you, you know? Stand up, you're like, I'm the man, right? You know, that's kind of where we are. That's kind of Luke 16 and 17. If I can just be totally, totally honest. I mean, if you, do you remember week one? I mean, Jesus jumped in the deep end with money, right? He's like, jump into these people's pockets. And he talks about money. And we're like, oh, that's a way. Bam. We finally got to get up from that. And he talks about divorce. 
tsunami. It's like, I mean, just it's crazy, these waves and waves and waves. And so we've, we've made it through three weeks. And I, I don't know how you feel, but I kind of feel like trying to get that deep breath. And then today we get Luke 17, uh, 1 through 10, which is um, like, it's going to be like a tsunami, to be honest, depending on where you are in your relationships. Now, some of you might be in a great spot, and we could read these 10 verses, and you're going to say to yourself, I don't know what Paul's talking about. But if you're in a certain place relationally with other people, and we read this, I'm just telling you right now, I'm warning you, it's going to feel like a tsunami hit you. I remember back, um, I preached one time right after a tsunami had hit, um, and I found an image. I, I couldn't find it again, but I found this image, and I put it up on the screen at the church the Sunday after that tsunami had hit on, uh, just on the other side of the, of the world, and it was a picture of a man clinging to a tree, and just waves were just pouring past him. Like, you know, you could see the, the, how the, way, all, the water almost goes sideways because the wind is so strong, and he was just clinging to that tree. And I remember telling the church, that's where God wants you. He wants you so desperate for him that no matter what's going on around me, I can't let go of this tree because if I let go of this tree, I'm done. And so this morning, I'm just letting you know, wherever you, if you're at the place that a lot of us are, you're going to read this and you're going to want to go like, I don't need this. But if you let go, you're dead, right? I mean, Jesus, is he's all we got, okay? So, all right, well, that was a great introduction. Here we go. Luke 17. Verses 1 through 10. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll, we'll kind of work our way through it, okay? And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you don't have that, it's, it'll be up on the screens. Here we go. One day Jesus said to his disciples, listen, that's really important, okay? I try to make sure that you know the context all the time, but he's talking to followers of him. So if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, this is another one of those days when you kind of get to sit back and watch the church squirm, okay? You'll learn something because this is good stuff, but he's talking specifically to people who were all in following him. There will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. I'm not going to go into what little ones means, but it's not children. Okay, we tend to look, oh he's, oh, he's talking about we should keep the nursery. We should be nice to little children. He's not talking about little ones. He's talking about people who are following him, okay? Disciples. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. And then if there is repentance, forgive. If that person wronged you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must punch them in the throat. That is not what it says, even in the most modern translation, right? It says you must forgive. Verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, how great you are, O great master and teacher. No, they said, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, which is more like a bush, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat. And then you can eat later. And does the master from the servant, does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, in the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Oh God, this morning we are asking for your help. 
because this is a topic we can all relate to and no one wants to talk about. But here we are. Next up in Luke 17, offense. And so, God, we're asking this morning that you would, one, help me to speak clearly, and two, I'm praying that you would miraculously take my words and just fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit, and you would cause us to hear what you want us to hear, Lord, this morning. Our, our ears are open, our hearts are open, even if just cracked a little, because we so desperately need you. There's nowhere else that we can go. Peter said, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. And so this morning, we're going to lean in to words of life. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now listen, Luke 17, 1, depending on your translation, um, it, it's got a lot of different words, okay? So listen to this from the New King James. It says, then Jesus said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. Okay, what is Jesus saying? He's saying it's impossible for us to live this life and not get offended. Okay, so I'm not going to take today to like break down what offense means because I think my guess is that all of us kind of know what offense means because we've been on social media, right? We've seen it. We know what it's like. It's when you start telling your family through a public forum what you want to say to them in private, you're offended, right? Like we know that, right? You see like, uh, yeah, I just want somebody posts and you're just like, I know exactly who they're talking to, right? Like you just know. Like just call them up. Um, before we had social media, we had Jerry Springer, right? Remember that? Remember just like watching Springer and just going, why don't y'all just talk to each other backstage? I don't get it. Like you came out in front of the whole country to tell them what you could have told them in private, right? So th this is all, these are all signs of offense. But I want to break it down even more, okay? Well, make sure you really get this, because Jesus said that offense would come, and then what did he say? He said, woe to the person through whom it comes. So I'm going to make it even more relatable, which might make us hate it more, right? Offense always, everybody say always, always comes through a person. Always. Here's how, here's how we know. Now, this is Albemarle, so, you know, it's an older city. If we were walking down the street on a sidewalk, and we tripped on the sidewalk. Are you going to get offended at the sidewalk? No, you're going to be, a, you'll be bothered. Like, that hurt a little bit. Hurt my toe and hurt my pride, and I hope nobody saw me. But if you're walking down that exact same sidewalk and tripped over somebody's foot, oh, <laughs> you could get offended. It would go something like this. What, what, are, you do what are you doing? I'm walking here. Uh, and they'd be like, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't see you there. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Walk on a little bit further. The more you think about it, you're like, they saw me. They saw me coming. I mean, I know they were talking to somebody else, and I saw the back of their head, but they knew I was coming. I saw that foot go back. They tripped me on purpose. The nerve of that person to have a conversation with somebody else with their back to me and put their foot behind me and trip me on the way. They are person-tripping jerks what they are. That's offense. You would never get offended at the sidewalk, but you would get offended at somebody on the sidewalk that caused you to stumble. And Jesus is saying, woe to the person through whom that comes. It will always come through a person. You will never be offended because your car didn't start. But if you just took it to a mechanic before it didn't start, oh, oh, buddy. I ain't taking my car back there again, and I'm telling everybody on Facebook not to either. 
Offense always comes through a person. That's why this is a hard topic to talk about because it's relational, right? So as we're talking right now, you're getting offended with me. It's awesome, isn't it? You're thinking about people that you're offended or that they might be offended with you. It's always about people. And because there's people involved, there's like so much going on. It's hard to even unpack it, isn't it? You can try to have, have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody that you're pretty sure they were offended with you or maybe you were offended with them? And even as you tried to have the conversation, it just got worse. It's, it's crazy, isn't it, how that goes? Because it always comes through a person. So this morning, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want to talk not so much about what is an offense, but what do we do with them? Because he's, Jesus said it's impossible that we could live this life and not get offended. We're going to get offended. Like if you looked at the people next to you right now, chances are they are or will be offended before the day's over. It will happen. The server won't bring the food fast enough, or it'll come cold. And everybody else's is hot. Just mine. They must know who I am. I, they must be mad. I bet they spit in my food. I mean, it's just amazing how, it's just amazing how it works, okay? So um, let me just, I'll give you the big idea, and then we'll talk, talk through, okay? There's a lot, lot of offense in this, in this big idea. To overcome offense, we need to make offense offensive, okay? So because it's always going to come to overcome offense, we've got to make offense offensive. We've got we to start saying stuff like, oh, I, don't wanna be, I don't want any part of that, right? I, I, I'm gonna be, I want to be offended at the very idea of being offended, okay? Now I know you're confused, and I designed it so that you would be because now you have to listen, all right? Here we go. I want to give you three things, three things that will help us, and, and I didn't make these up. These are in what we just read. Three things that will help us overcome offense, okay? Here we go. You ready? Here's the first one. Courage to confront. we got to have the courage to confront. Now, Jesus said, and I love this, he said it's impossible for us to not be offended. It would be better for someone to be, have, have a millstone tied around their neck and be thrown into the sea than to cause another person to stumble, than to be the stumbling block through which the offense comes. Here's what I want you to get. I love that we serve a Savior who talks about hard things. Jesus is talking about the topic of offense. He had the courage to confront it in us. We can't pretend like it's not there. We've got to talk about it. Listen to this. The reason most people stay offended is because most people stay silent about the offense. Actually, that's not even true. People do talk about offense to themselves. Have you done that? And they're always right. They have the conversation. I mean, like, you don't just talk it to, about yourself like, oh, this is crazy. I shouldn't be offended. What you'll do is you'll actually have a conversation. I've done it. You'll have a conversation in your head with the other person. Like, they're in your head talking back to you, but you're telling them what to say, so you're always right. And by the time you finish that conversation, you're more mad. And they don't even know. The reason most people stay offended is because they stay silent about the offense. Or they talk to themselves, and so they're convinced that they're right. And some of you love this point, and let me tell you why. You have the personality of a bulldozer. And so the minute you should have the courage to confront, you're like, this is my point, baby. Oh, I will confront. Oh, 
I will confront people for you. Give me your offense. I'll take care of it too. I am the offense taker care of a person. Now serving number 328, right? I mean, give me all. I'll take care of it. I'm a, I will do it. You don't have to talk about that. You just jump just to point two. But listen, this is the part that blew me away, okay? Check, check this out. One, before Jesus told them how to confront, look at the first three words of verse three. So watch who? Yourself. Translating. Shut up. Don't be so doggone excited about jumping on somebody else about somebody else's problem. How about check yourself? Check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? This is what Jesus is saying. It's in the Bible. We just read it. He just used better words. He's watch yourself. Listen, because it's impossible to not be offended, and it's also bad if it comes through you, so check yourself. Because, you know, I mean, who's he talking to, right? The disciples. So we're already thinking about Peter, right? Don't most of us relate to Peter? I mean, Peter's like, have the conversation and then think about what you just said, right? He's always like, he, some people put their foot in their mouth. He's like both feet, both knees. Like if you can go all up to your butt, it's there, right? That's Peter. And so when Peter hears have the courage to confront, he's like, I got this. But then Jesus says, whoa, buddy, hold up, hold up. I know you want to go punch people. But watch yourself first. So, you know, they're like us. Okay, okay I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll watch myself. God, uh, check my heart, make sure I'm pure, good, we're good to go, let's go. Like, they want to fly through that. But here, here's what Jesus says. Listen, here's how you confront an offense. If, after you've checked yourself, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Now, you can picture Peter again, right? Because he's like, I heard it. I heard the R word. Rebuke, baby. Come on. We don't use that word a lot because we're, uh, you know, we're such nice people, so we don't use the word rebuke. It's the R word, right? But Peter heard it. You know he did. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. But I looked up the word rebuke, and you're not going to believe it. You're going to unpack this in community group. This is going to be the question you talk about the most this week in community group because it blew my mind when I looked up the Greek word for rebuke. The Greek word for rebuke, here's what it means. To give honor to or to raise the value of. What? That makes no sense. Because it's the same word like Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. He rebuked Satan. Like, why would I give honor to Satan? Why would I raise the value? You've got to get this, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying. You're going to get offended, so watch yourself. You're going to want to go have a conversation where you put somebody in their place, so watch yourself. When your brother asks for forgiveness, if he sins, go and rebuke him. And here's what Jesus is saying. You need to remind your brother. This is brothers, okay? This is not like, uh, you know, Joe Schmo, atheist at Walmart that took the last Christmas present. This is brothers, okay? Brothers and sisters in the house, you need to go to them and you need, you need to confront them by rebuking them, by reminding them of who they are in Christ. You need to go to them in such a way that calls out their sin and gives honor back to who they are as believers. Listen, baby, when you walked in the room yesterday and started cheering for the Tar Heels, <laughs> I would only say this if State beat them. Oh, they did. It only happens once every blue moon. I mean, I know how it works, right? Like, 
I know you're a Gamecock fan. I know. That's why I'm confronting you because it was sinful. <laughs> Listen, think about this. What do we do when somebody sins? What do we do? We just keep pointing out the sin. Now, I'm going to talk to you again because I've already told you this, and I don't think you heard me. Let me, say it, let me say it again. Let me find another way to phrase how bad you are. And maybe if I just keep shaming you, you'll get better. That's not the biblical idea of rebuke. And I, I mean, you've got to know, I read that this week. I can't tell you how much I repented. Like, oh, God, I've done that. With the best of intentions, I've done that. But when you rebuke somebody biblically, you're putting them literally in their place. But their place is higher than you think it is. We, we want to put them down. But he says, rebuke is raise the honor of. Increase the value of. Think about this. When Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, do you know what he was really saying? I control you because I'm your master. I didn't create you for this. I'm going to help you get back in your lane. So you can do what I made you for. When he says, when he rebukes Satan, what's he saying? (laughs) Satan, (laughs) no. This is not your place. I know your place. I'm reminding you of your place. And that, that right there alone will change your life. If we just simply started rebuking in that type of a way. And the point of the rebuke, listen, is to realign them with their true identity no matter how many times it takes. Parents, you already do this with your children. You may not have used these words, but I bet you've had conversations, something like this. Um, son, <laughs> that's not how the Jenkins do that. Mm. No, we, we don't talk to servers that way. We don't leave 2% tips because they were bad. Nah, nah, and I don't know what other families do, but in the Jenkins household, it's 15% or higher. But what if the food's bad? That doesn't matter. We're not tipping on performance. We're tipping on grace. You've done that, right? Uh, now, listen, um, I, I've noticed for a couple of days you've left the bed unmade. It's not how we do things in our house. We want you to make the bed. Or maybe you had one like this. You're like, I, I noticed you've been making the bed. Why? You're going to sleep in it again that next night, and in our house, we don't waste time. We don't waste energy. Just leave it like it is. Yeah, I got some amens on that one now. Come on. You're like, that was so honoring, Pastor Paul. I love that part. Can you say it again, please, right? So how did the, how did the disciples respond to this kind of teaching from Jesus, right? How did they respond to that? Had the courage to confront. And when they were all excited about confronting, Jesus changed the rules a little bit and went, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about what it really means to confront. When I say have the courage to confront, what I mean is check yourself first so that you have a heart that's not mad and bitter and wants to hurt the person who hurt you. Check yourself first. Wait, God, am I the person who needs the millstone around my neck? And if I am, search me and know me. See if there's anything offensive in me. And then when I repent of that, when I'm right with you, then you can use me to speak life and value and identity into the person who is now sinning. So the disciples, I love this. They had a wait what moment? They said, whoa. 
Could you give us more faith for that, please? So second thing you got to have, you got to have faith to forgive. They asked him for faith, and, and I will say this, that sounds really spiritual, right? I thought, I thought about that Elevation song that we love to sing, and this, I hope this doesn't ruin the song. I love it. Like, give me faith. Give me, you know, I love that song. That's kind of what they're saying, kind of, but not quite. Because I love Jesus' answer. Now, y'all, I know some of you hate sarcasm. I know you hate it. I, I try not to use mine as much as I, as I but I, so it's my gift. It's my spiritual gift. It's my love language. It's hard. It's hard to throttle that thing back, right? And so sometimes I read sarcasm into the Bible. I know Jesus is more pure than that, but I think Jesus got a little snarky here. Okay, just a little, all right? If he did, then it's possible to be snarky and not sin, but I've not found out how to do that yet, okay? So I'm, I'm trying to be better at it, okay? I'm trying to be better at it. But listen, here's the deal. When they said increase our faith, look what Jesus said. If you had faith even as small as the seed that you can barely even see, you could tell that bush to fly into the ocean. And they were like, okay, what's your point? It's like, you don't need any more faith. You just need to obey. You already have the faith. If it's just a little bit. It reminds me of another passage, I think it's in the Bible, where Paul wrote something like this. If I have faith to move mountains, but don't have love, I have nothing. Let's just kind of push back a little bit. Like right now, as we're talking, if you're breathing, you're thinking of people in your life that you might need to have a conversation with after this message. And you're already starting to say to God, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't, I don't know. If, I mean, that's, whew, I need some faith. Sing that song again, God, so I can feel it. Come on, I need to feel it. Give me faith to trust what you say. I'm, yeah, that's good. Keep going. Come on. I need a whole band. Whole band. Come on. That's it. I start, uh, no, I need a little bit more. How about some, you'll never have enough with that kind of thinking. But you have enough because a little bit of faith can move a mountain. And can I tell you the biggest mountain that we need to move is the mountain of offense. Now, if you're single, you can't relate to this. But if you're married, you can relate to how offense becomes a mountain. Because if you've ever gone to bed angry with your spouse when both of you were still awake in the bed, you have felt the mountain. It's the three-inch gap between the two of you that shall not be crossed by my hand, right? <laughs> you're like, you're sitting there going, I need to say I'm sorry. I, need, I ain't doing it. Like, you start to turn over to say you're sorry, and it's like, mountain, nope, not going to do it. Roll over the other way, right? Well, if they want to talk to me, they can talk to me. They can climb that mountain, right? Man, like, it's amazing, isn't it? We think of, like, we read these scriptures, and I'm just telling you this is how we do it. We, we deflect from the real point. I mean, if you're like me, I have read scriptures like this. Like, I read this, and I actually thought, God, how cool would it be if I could make a bush jump up out of the ground and levitate and then fly into the ocean? That would be awesome. And what Jesus is saying is that would be awesome, but not if you don't use your faith to fix problems with people. You've got what you need. You just got to obey. And the reason why we feel like we need more faith is because it really is hard. Proverbs eighteen nineteen says this. An offended friend 
is harder to win back than a fortified city. So this is not an easy task, okay? Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. That's actual bars, not drinking bars, okay? This is a hard task. But we have what we need. I I was reminded of uh, Moses when God called him to go do an impossible task. Remember, he's like, hey, Moses, um, I know that you feel like you've wasted your entire life, and I'm over here in the bush, and it's burning and not burning up, and I'm just calling you to go to, like, the most powerful man on the planet and tell him, let my people go. And Moses basically said this, uh, could you give me some more faith? And what did God say to him? Hey, what's in your hand? What do you already have? Why don't you give it to me? I bet we can do something with that. So this morning, if you're sitting, I'm like, I think I need to have a conversation. It's easy to feel the fear of, I'm not sure if I could do that. But you're not a slave to fear anymore. You're no longer a slave. You're a child of God. You have the faith it took to believe that Jesus raised from the dead will also be enough faith for you to have a conversation with somebody about offense. And he's just saying, what's in your hand? Uh, Well, I got a little bit of faith. I'm not sure if you can even really see it. And he goes, well, is it as big as a mustard seed? Uh, I think. Well, I think that's all you need. Do it. Step out and obey. Forgiveness is not based on feelings. Oh, God, can I get an amen on that? Jeez, have you ever actually forgiven somebody that you still didn't like? Forgiveness is for you. It sets you free. And it's never, you never feel like it. I mean, nobody ever feels like forgiving. It's based on a choice that's based on faith. So you got to have the courage to confront. And when you confront, you're going to have to have the faith to forgive, okay? Because we're called in this passage to forgive them endless amounts of times, which is really, really difficult. And then here's the last thing. Jesus is so practical. I love this. Um, He tells this story. And he's talking about, like, you know, forgiving people and rebuking people and giving honor to people and helping them see who they are as a believer in Christ. And he's talking about, like, plants and bushes flying, which every time I'm working in the yard, I'm just like, give me that gift, right? You know, just be uprooted and replaced with beautiful things. I don't have that gift. He does all of that. And then I love how practical Jesus gets. Because, you know, if, I mean, how many of you are checklist people? And there's nothing wrong with that. Just the way you're, so when you go through a checklist, you're like, you want to know you're done. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way that you're wired. So you're like, okay, God, this was great. Have you ever sat in a meeting, and when the meeting's over, you're like, why was I here? I don't even know what to do now. It was great. We had a great one-hour meeting. We talked about a lot of stuff, but what now? And I, I'm, I mean, on the spectrum of, like, how we're wired, I'm more that guy. Like, let's just get together for an hour and have coffee and talk, and then when it's all over, we'll be like, that was great. What do we do? I don't know. So Jesus doesn't let us do that. He doesn't have a conversation about offense just to let his disciples walk away and go, well, that was pretty good. What did it mean to you? What? I'm not going to have shrubs anymore. I love mustard seeds. He, He told them what it meant. Go do it. And then he told them, the last one, he told them how they would know if they had done it. Okay, now check this out. I love this. He tells them about forgiving and about having faith to do it. And then verse 7, he just like does this little, this little weird thing that Jesus does. He starts telling another story, and you're like, how in the world does this make any sense with what we're talking about? And here's what it says. 
So when a servant comes in from plowing and taking care of, the, of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. And then later, you can grab something at the drive-thru. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was supposed to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Can I just say, most of us, if verses 7, 8, and 9 described our employment situation, are quitting that job. My boss just isn't very affirming. I did all that work that he paid you to do. I came in at 6 and set up the whole church. Ungrateful people. Don't even sing in key. On key. That's just testing you. Stupid pastor can't get his prepositions right. So offended. <laughs> That's fun. I love to crack myself up. That's good stuff. I think I'm on to, into something. I don't, what, what, whatever. I hate English. Okay. We would quit that job because we think it's all about us. You can confront somebody with courage. You can forgive them by faith and still think it's all about you. Now listen, so the practical test is do you have the humility to honor people? This servant, he knew his, and I keep saying know your place. And again, you've got you to get it in the, fr the framework, right? Not know your place like know your place. We're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Like know your place. But as high as we are in heaven, guess what I still am? Paul said, I am a bond slave of Jesus. We, this morning as we were wrapping up pre-service prayer, I told him that when I've been thinking about Jesus this week, what I keep thinking about is Princess Bride. And these three words that were said in Princess Bride, he always said the same three words. He would say, as you wish. That's the answer of a servant to a master. What do you want me to do today, Jesus? Uh, how about deal with that mountain between you and that person? As you wish. And not, oh, I'll be the bigger person. You better, I'll take care of it. I'll be the bigger person. God, you're so full of pride, right? When we think like that. And he just says, if you have truly forgiven the offense, you will be able in humility to serve the people who actually offended you. Because I don't know how you read 7, 8, and 9, but I put myself in the position of the servant, and I don't think I like my master. Do you, see, do you not see that I have been working in the field all day? I have milked cows for you. I have taken your sheep and walked them all over the place. And they didn't even eat the stuff where I took them. I had to take them to somewhere else. One of them pooped on me in my hair. Look at it right there. I don't know why my head was under that sheet, but it was. Smell me. And you want me to fix you a meal. Who do you think you are? Man. That's the end result of not dealing with offense.
But when you deal with it, I'm telling you right now, the way you'll know is God will give you the opportunity, the blessing, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a blessing, the opportunity to serve the person who offended you. And when you can do that, like, man, I'm just a bond servant of Jesus. You know what? If it wasn't for Jesus, I'm, I mean, I'm busting hell wide open, and I know you ticked me off, and I don't even really like you that much, but I'm going to serve you because he served me when I was his enemy, and now I'm going to serve you. When you can do that, you're saying to Jesus, we are just unworthy servants who have only done our duty, who has simply done our duty. This is a mark of the Christian life. The mark of a Christian life is that you can actually go to church with people that have ticked you off because you're learning how to forgive and be in a relationship. The mark of the American Christian life is a new church. I just can't stand looking at you anymore. I'm going to start another church. Jesus will bless it. No, he won't. He can't bless that. you got to have courage to confront. you got to have faith to forgive. You've got to have humility to honor. Well, it's funny, Proverbs 18, 19, and we'll wrap this up. Um, I read it earlier. An unfriended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. When I first read that, I again, I, it's so easy to put yourself in a hero role. So you read that and go, well, the reason why it's hard is because that stupid friend, right? <laughs> like, if he wasn't so daggone offended, we could fix this. But then when I get to the end of verse 10, and I read this whole thing, and Jesus puts it back on us, he started with watch yourself, and then he ends it with can you serve? I read Proverbs 18, 19 a whole lot different. Like, wait, the reason why offense is hard to overcome is me. I'm the problem. So where do we start? Can I just say this this morning? Can we start with the obvious? Watch yourself. I'm going to give you the chance just to uh, close your eyes, bow your head. We're going to, I want you to be able to respond. Now, obviously, this morning, um, probably not the place that you're going to get to have the conversations with people if you need to. But, you know, can we, can we just start with, you know, God, I'm, I'm asking you to search my heart. The other thing that I want you to remember is that me talking like this doesn't mean that you have to be sitting here offended, right? It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that at some point we will be because Jesus said it's impossible to not be. And so we've got to, again, if we're going to make offense offensive, we have to have really clear strategies, okay? And so I would love this morning to pray over us that we would have courage to confront in a biblical way that restores honor to people and helps them see that what they're doing is so far below who God made them to be. Sometimes we need people like that in our lives to have the faith to forgive. Man, Winnie and I learned so much about forgiveness in a season of our lives. And the greatest thing we learned was we never, ever, ever, ever wanted to. But we needed to. And it happened on our knees saying to God, I don't even like that person. Please help us forgive. And he will. And there's no greater testimony, I'm telling you, than when we can honor people who have hurt us. You've heard me say this many, many times, and I, I've got to wrap this up. What made the early church powerful was the way that they loved their enemies. I mean, they took care of people that wanted to kill them so that those people would not. They took care of those people while those people were dying at the risk of their own lives. They honored the people who they should have been offended at. It's almost like they had heard these words from Jesus told and told and told and then chosen to live them. And what will change our church, our city, 
our county. What will change this is when we take to heart what Jesus said, we start to watch ourselves, and we start to have these kind of conversations and restore honor to people. So the, all that to say, if you're here this morning and you just know you, gotta, you need to have a, a next step beyond this message, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, because I just want to pray. And my hand is up as well. Can, can we just ask God to give us what we need, right? Like we already know we have the faith, but now we just need the courage to actually go do it, okay? So hands all over the place. I'm just going to pray for you, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Father, um, thank you this morning for being the kind of Savior who talks about this kind of stuff. I thank you for, for allowing us to have a conversation this morning about how we can live lives that are free from offense. And there's no greater freedom than that. There is no greater freedom. I pray for those of us in the room that raise our hands. I mean, it, it, this, could be, this could be current situations. These could be situations from so far back in our past, we can't even have a conversation with somebody about it. But we can with you. And so I'm asking you this morning, God, that you would help us to live free by just simply letting go of so many of the things that we've held on to. That we would be able to love people well because we're loved by you well. And that at least here at the gathering, how awesome would it be if offense offended us? And we did everything within our power to stay away from it. You would give us so many opportunities to love the unlovable. And it would bring so much glory to you, Jesus. And that's what we want anyway. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.